This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. Good day, Ian. Hello, Warren. Good to be with you again today. Yeah, we are talking about an interesting uh, subject today. It's a very basic subject. Mm-hmm. But I know you have some commercials before we get into it. I do. I do. So two things. One is uh, Monday evening at 8 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Uh, we have a Zoom call for people that are listening to the podcasts and would like to join us and ask questions. And so if they just go to Zoom and sign in with the 403 506 9201. And that will get them into the room and we'll be glad to have you join us. The other commercial is uh, that we are going to be posting a PDF document on the website for each of our podcasts so that you can follow along and have the uh, verses and the information there. And so if you would like to go to the website, rediscoveringgod.ca and uh, click on the podcast that you're going to listen to and there'll be a PDF document that uh, you can download and save and uh, have that as a resource. Uh, that will be, they will be posted in the next, uh, say over the next week. So uh, come back and check if the one that you're looking for is not there. All right, where are we going today? We're going to talk about the gospel. Okay. So uh, the word gospel comes from uh, good news. The Greek word euangelion uh, actually means good news. So it was, it was a word that was uh, in common usage among the Romans uh, at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very common word. And... Uh, just think about uh, what we mean by news. News is about something that's happened. As it's opposed not... to good advice. Yeah, that's a, a good alternate, uh, opposite uh, word to use, advice or instructions. or uh, Literally, uh, the word gospel means uh, good news about mm. something that's happened. Like uh, when you listen to a news broadcast, uh, it might include some advice, like it's going to be very cold tonight, layer up. Um, but generally, it's about things that have happened already. Right. A newspaper reports what's already happened. Yeah. So I want to start off uh, by um, reciting the sinner's prayer um, for you. Um, this prayer has been used by the Billy Graham uh, evangelistic outreach all over the world. And uh, it's uh, been a phenomenal influence for good and brought many people to Christ. So I'm not knocking this prayer, but if uh, better is possible, is good good enough? True. So here's the sinner's prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Billy Graham's been a powerful influence for good in, uh, in this world. He's been a real blessing all over the world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes success can preclude progress. Do you remember all the vehicles Henry Ford made? Um, they were before my time. Have you ever seen a Model T or a Model A? I have seen them. Yeah, so Henry Ford, um, he was the guy who started the assembly line. Right. And, and uh, he made all his Model Ts. That's what he began with. Uh, they were all exactly the same and all painted black. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, there's an old quip that says you can have your Model T in any color as long as it's black. <laughs> um, so then uh, Louis Chevrolet came along and he made all sorts of different models in his line of cars and all different colors and eventually outsold Ford hmm. um, just because he he realized that people wanted to personalize their transport. I didn't so, realize that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so the sinner's prayers, it appears as above, has brought peace and joy to millions of people. But it does not preclude us thinking about some of its implications. For instance, the personal pronoun appears 10 times in 55 words. Hmm. The focus is on me and what I must do. And this is self-advice, which is generally good. But in this instance, we can do better because actually the, the gospel deals with a human impossibility. We all need Jesus as a savior, not just a helper. And the sinner's prayer uh, regards Jesus mostly as a helper to help you do uh, what you need to be done. And we do need a helper. There's no question about that. Um, but the prayer focuses on the work of the human agent, which Jesus is going to help us achieve, rather than on the mighty work the Lord Jesus has already accomplished for us. The motivation for this prayer is the benefit for me, rather than acknowledging what Jesus the Christ has achieved. So, um, in order to get to the essence of what we're trying to say, we need to just look at what we understand the gospel to be. And, and you know, the way we understand things depends upon our experience and our exposure in the past and what other people think and what they've taught us from their experience, which is good. I want you to talk about uh, that story, The Life of Pi, and when the insurance agents come to see him in hospital. So the story uh, has this young lad that had been in a ship that went down. And so the insurance agents came to him as he was in the hospital 
to see what happened so they knew whether they had to uh, pay out an insurance claim. And so he's there in the hospital and he tells them what happened. And they just shake their head and say, we, we cannot believe that story. That's too uh, outlandish. And he said, okay, come back tomorrow. So they come back the next day and he tells them a different story uh, that he made up in the night. And they said, now that's a story that we can believe. Well, that's what we'll write up in our report. And uh, so to me, it's a, it's a very, very uh, appropriate illustration or example of what's happened within Christianity. That the gospel, the good news is so good that people question it can't be that easy. I can't believe that. And so Christianity has told us a story that is believable. Yeah. And, and so people take that. What a fine example. You know, we have this all through history, is that we've uh, preferred to believe what we find believable as opposed to the truth, like the, uh, the earth not moving and the sun moving around it. I mean, so Warren, every time you say the sun comes up, you're telling a technical lie. True. Because the sun hasn't come up, the earth's rotated. Yeah. So we just continue that way of thinking. Or, mm. you know, in the prairies, yeah, you can look out and see that the world is clearly flat. And we have some people who believe in the flat earth society, and there's nothing you can tell them that'll convince them otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, you can show them pictures taken from uh, uh, orbiters or on the way to the moon and shows a sphere, and they have all sorts of explanations for that. So we, you're quite right. We tend to believe what we find believable rather than what's actually true. And it took us hundreds of years and a lot of suffering for people to finally change from believing that the earth is fixed to believing that the earth rotates around the sun. So, traditionally, what we could believe was this about the gospel. We born lost, and we need to do something to be saved. The New Testament suggests the exact opposite of that, which is that we are born saved, and we can only be lost uh, by doing something. That is such a difference. Yes. So <laughs> if we're going to say that, we better back it up with uh, a lot of scriptural evidence, don't you right. think? Okay. So here's the first one. John 1 verse 9. Why don't you read these scriptures for us? Okay. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So... Uh, the operative uh, part of this verse is that uh, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Mm -hmm. Now, that light is the light of salvation. So now one wonders, how can this possibly be true? What about people who live uh, in some dark forest or on some isolated island? How does the light get to them? That's a good question. And, and here's uh, where we believe in the Holy Spirit 
or we don't actually believe in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter. And the, the implication is that he would do this other comforter, the Holy Spirit, would do exactly what he had done. And Jesus went everywhere bringing light to the people that he could reach. And the Holy Spirit does that you know, for people. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. And uh, it stirs their hearts with the light of heaven. Right. So, for instance, when I read the enlightened way from Buddhism, um, it's very similar to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I can't help but believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the Buddha to write down the enlightened way. Mm. Um, so uh, let's move on to John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what do you notice about that? <clears throat> Well, he's not just taking away some sin. He's taking away the sin of the whole world. Yeah, that's pretty inclusive. Very. That means every sin committed by every person in every place for all of history. Right. And it, it means that no one needs to suffer the penalty for being a sinner. Mm -hmm. Because he's taken it away. So my sins are taken away before I was even born. <laughs> yeah, now you're struggling with your what's believable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we just need to keep looking at this evidence. John 3, 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I remember as a kid, sometimes... Uh, I wasn't as innocent as I can look. And my mother would say to me, you wait until daddy gets home. Mm. So I'd watch the driveway. And when the vehicle was coming, I would disappear. Because judgment was arriving. Right. Even though my father didn't know about the incident, it was sure to happen. Mm -hmm. So many of us have that picture of, of Jesus. And it's reflected in our prayers and people joke about the judgment day and so on. And in our prayers, we say, help us to be ready when you come. Meaning that we are a bit scared of Jesus coming. Mm -hmm. And we feel we have to reach a certain standard. Uh, and so it's really unbelief. John 3.17 says, he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world through So Jesus is a savior. He's not a judge or a condemner. Right. So you want to read the next one in John 12? John 12, 32 says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So lifted up from the earth means the cross. And um, some people say, well, uh, I will draw everyone means those people who were watching when he was crucified. Or you can interpret this to mean that whenever people hear the story of Jesus' torture and execution, it tugs on their heartstrings. Mm -hmm. 
and and actually uh, in the Greek, it's uh, it's not limited to this earth. It just includes everyone in the whole universe. Verse forty-seven. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world, and not to judge it. Isn't that an amazing verse? That is an amazing verse. You can hear, but not obey, and still he doesn't come to judge us. <laughs> this is astonishing to me. Yeah. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world, and not to judge the world. See, I, I don't think you can make it clearer. Jesus doesn't condemn the disobedient, for he's in the salvation business. For all people, if he judges, it is to judge every person worthy of salvation. So we now come to the most definitive and comprehensive description of the situation we're describing, and it's found in the letter to the Romans. And seven times in chapter five, the gospel will be stated. Apparently, Paul is most anxious that every reader grasp the truth of the gospel as he understood it. So you're saying that he states this seven times. Why would he repeat it so many times? Well, um, you know, it's a bit like a parent who says to a child, I've told you a thousand times. Right. Blow your nose, wash your hands, wear your mask. Mm. He, he's trying to communicate something that he knows is going to be difficult to believe. Okay. So he does this in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and then in two other places that we're not going to today. Okay. So read verse 15 for us. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness for too many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's using this equivalence logic here. And he says, Adam brought death to many with his sin. So many there means everyone. Yeah, everyone has been impacted by Adam's sin. Yeah, and no, no one has ever escaped death on mm -hmm. this planet. Of course, mm -hmm. they're one or two people that were taken to heaven. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, then he says, but even greater, greater than everybody being impacted by Adam's sin, uh, is this forgiveness through Jesus Christ, which is given to many. Same word. Um, so... However you, you uh, define many with Adam and other people, you have to define it in the same way for Jesus and the people on the planet here. So what Adam did affected everyone and even greater extent what Jesus did, everyone benefits from. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to point out that uh, not everybody knows about Adam and his sin, but they're still affected by it. Right. Okay, you don't have to know about Adam. 
Okay. And you, what Jesus did, you don't have to know about Jesus, but it's affected you. Mm. How does it affect us? I can understand how what Adam did affects us because it affects our what we think about ourselves, even though we don't know. We're, the, the shame that the enemy places within our heart, we don't believe about ourselves what God believes, wants us to believe about ourselves. But how on the other side does what Jesus did um, affect us even though we don't know? So again, I... Uh... I fall back on the influence of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is able to bring this knowledge in some rudimentary way to people. And this results in their being kinder than they would have been otherwise. Okay. And there's another way that this happens in that uh, the promise to Abraham was that through this child of promise, uh, all people on earth would be blessed. Right. So, you know, when Jesus comes again, there are going to be people that are resurrected from the grave to go to heaven with him. Uh, they didn't even know about him. Right. True. Are you sure? Yeah. No, I, I agree that there, there are people that are kind because the Spirit has prompted them to be kind, like you said. So, yeah. And in Zechariah... Uh, second last book in the Old Testament, it talks about people uh, seeing the wounds in Jesus' hands and saying, so what are those wounds about? Mm. Now, you could interpret that was uh, ardent believers in God from the Old Testament, but why exclude New Testament people who responded to God's Spirit but never knew about Jesus? Right. So verse uh, 16 of Romans chapter 5. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Yeah. Have you ever thought you were guilty only to discover you weren't guilty? You know, I can't, I can't remember that. That would be a great discovery, but I can't remember that. Yeah. Uh, a couple of times in my life, I thought I was going to owe a lot of income tax. And I went, when I went to the tax uh, agent that I used, he worked it out, and I ended up getting money, not paying money in. Mm. So it, it, in this verse, it, it, there's this sense that um, because of God's free gift leads us to be made right with God. I could be made right with God and not even know it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think the, the difference that people that don't even know about Jesus don't know that they're right with God. Yeah. And that is their friend is on their side. Yeah. He's got their back covered. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So, that was so unbelievable. We invented this idea that uh, we're guilty before God and that we have to do something before God will accept us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got the first half. We, we know that because of Adam, we're all sinners. Yeah. But we've missed the second half, that because of Jesus, we are all not sinners. Yeah, in God's eyes. 
In God's eyes, yes. We, we have to keep that uh, distinction between the way we feel and the way God feels. Yes. Well, let's have a look at the third time in verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, those on this planet, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So for those who know about it, they can live in triumph over sin and death even now. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know about it, uh, that will happen uh, after the second coming. There is a proviso. We'll get to that later. Um, okay, here's the fourth statement. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. I mean, I, you can't state it uh, clearer than that. Yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Where? In, in our minds, in our hearts, we feel condemned. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they felt condemned. They, they expressed that by saying, wow, we're naked and we better hide from God. And they've got fear coming into their lives. So they hadn't even seen God after they've sinned. This is, this is just an automatic response that happens in them. Mm -hmm. So, But God's not feeling that way about them. He comes looking for them. So it's not that he's distanced himself from them. They've distanced themselves from him. Right, yeah. His attitude toward them hadn't changed. No, not at all. Yes. So God kept trying to communicate this to us. Never could get through to us. Uh, even with the, the prophet's best intentions and the priests sacrificing animals, um, all that went on, but he never could get through to us. So he came in the person of Jesus Christ to love us and to serve us and to tell us uh, we welcome in God's presence. Mm -hmm. So this verse 18, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone in their heads, in their minds, in their hearts. Mm -hmm. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. If you know about it now, uh, it changes the way you relate to life. Yes, yes. And most certainly at the second coming. So the, the last of the five times is in verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Okay, so you're back with this word money and many again. And many means everyone. Yes, as he states in verse 18. Uh, yes. So now I'd like to go to a few other passages also written by Paul, um, where the same idea uh, is conveyed to us. You want to read Romans 11, 32? For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. Okay, so we're imprisoned in disobedience. We all know about that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and he has mercy on everyone who's imprisoned in this disobedience. That's very inclusive. It's very inclusive. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Okay, so the equivalence here is uh, we all belong to Adam. We have no choice in it. And we all belong to Christ because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. It's not singling out any promised group of people. Mm -hmm. Talking about everybody. And they're right. given a new life. And Jesus is clear about this in John 6. He says, you, I'll resurrect you at the last day, uh, either to a life of joy and happiness or to a life of condemnation. And uh, the condemnation doesn't come from him. Condemnation right. comes from ourselves and each other and also the devil. That's a good distinction to make. Yes. So, you know, somewhere along the, uh, my life's journey, I was taught that the condemnation I feel comes from the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, what a tragic teaching when the Holy Spirit is another comforter. And Jesus never... Uh, came and condemned people unless he had tears in his eyes. So um, where does this condemnation come from? All of us have a sense of integrity. Now, we know there's a right way and a wrong way. When we do the wrong, we've experienced guilt. That sense of integrity is present in all people unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath. Yeah. Um, that's what's missing in these people. It, it is what brings you guilt and sadness when you do wrong. You know, even the worst of criminals know there's a right way to be a criminal and a wrong way. And you don't squeal on your, uh, your buddies. That's wrong. Mm. And that's that sense of integrity um, that we're all born with. So are you making a distinction between guilt and condemnation? Uh, no. No, we experience condemnation. We experience guilt from within ourselves, the sense of integrity uh, that we have, sense of right and wrong. Other people uh, impose guilt on us or condemn us. Um, and the devil definitely does because he's the accuser right. of the brothers and the sisters. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Well, we've covered that. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. I know this is one of your favorite passages. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Okay. Since we believe that Christ died for all, then those people who've heard about this also believe that they have died to their old life. Mm -hmm. And verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So think about that for a minute. Uh, he does not count people's sins against them. Yes. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. And God is love. Yes. So God keeps no record of wrongs. Right. So who keeps the record of wrongs? Well, I guess we do. You bet we do. And the accuser. And the accuser. And some of our so-called friends. Right. And, you know, here he says he gave us this message of reconciliation. Our message is not one to tell people how, what terrible sinners they are and that they need to pray the sinner's prayer in order to be saved. Our message is to tell them that God's not counting their sins against them. Yeah. God has already done this before they were born. And, mm -hmm. and, and we can come back into a relationship with this God that loves us so much. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's the gospel. Yes. So in Philippians 2 verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, name in the Bible represents character. So when people see the character of Jesus, what he's really like, how he thinks and how he feels towards them, what happens? Every knee bows before him mm -hmm. in heaven and on earth and under the earth in acknowledgement of his great love and mercy and what is accomplished for us. Colossians 1 verse 20. You want to read that? And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Mm -hmm. So now we've gone outside of the earth to even yeah. heaven. Yeah. So when Jesus dies on the cross after that disgraceful torture by the Roman soldiers and his execution, the whole universe is watching to see how God is going to respond to this unfair, unjust, horrible lashing out by sinners against right. their creator and against God in human flesh who only blessed and served people as he lived here on earth. And I'm reminded of Jesus' prayer. As that's happening, he says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and the universe watches that happen and, and realize that God is, in essence, forgiving these people that have placed him on the cross, literally yeah. and, and figuratively, including everyone. Yeah. It's astonishing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, Jesus knew about post-traumatic stress long before we did. Hmm. So he knew that those executioners were going to go home and abuse their families and their friends because of the traumatization of killing another human being in cold blood. Mm. So that's why he says they know not what they do. They don't know how they're brutalizing themselves. Right. So 1 Timothy 2.6. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world in just the right time. Purchase freedom for everyone. Yes. Yes, this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Well, the, the angels that came and told the shepherds that were looking after their sheep near Bethlehem, uh, good news 
unto you this day is born a savior. Someone who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Amazing one, good news. 1 Timothy 4.10. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. <laughs> I, I love that distinction because, you know, we, we assume that he's, he's the savior of the believers. Yeah. But here, Paul is, is saying, well, he is of the believers, but he's really of all people, yeah. especially of the believers. Yeah. Beautiful. All people. Titus 2.11. You want to read that? For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. So I, I don't know if you're getting it, but uh, all people, this is this gospel is very inclusive. And that's why it's become so hard for people to believe because it seems it's too good to be true. And we've been yeah. taught you can't trust something that's good, too good to be true. Yeah. Except for this. Hebrews 2 9. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Yes, all people, everyone keeps repeating. What a beautiful theme. 1 John 2 verse 2 says this, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Amen. So you know there are more passages than what we've quoted that indicate that all people have been saved in God's mighty work for them. But like you were saying, this sounds too good to be true. It's like the story with the insurance uh, justice in the life of Pi. Yes. They couldn't believe the truth, so uh, they believed something else uh, that was made up so they could believe it. Uh, in our penurious attitude, we find it difficult to think that even God could be this generous and compassionate. Oh, by the way, penurious. You run into that word? No, I was going to ask you, what does that mean? <laughs> that means you're so stingy. Oh, Okay. <laughs> it's just an educated equivalent. You know, when you're educated, you throw in a few words that people don't know just to prove you're educated. There you go. Thank you <laughs> for proving you're more educated than I. <laughs> <laughs> so in our stingy attitude, we found it difficult to think that God could be this generous and compassionate. So what's interesting is that since the Reformation, we have reacted in two different ways uh, uh, in regard to the, the above passages. Before we go there, yeah, uh, uh, there's something that comes up in my mind. Are we then saying that everybody is going to be saved? Yes. That everybody uh, is going to heaven? Uh, no. Yeah, you asked me two different questions. Okay. Well, okay. They, the verses are saying everyone is saved. So it would only be logical to assume that everyone is going to heaven. Yes. But you're so, saying, no, that's not I'm the saying, case. I'm saying yes to your statement. It would only be logical if everybody's saved. 
that uh, they're all going to heaven. That's the kind of the blanket logic we we use on this. But mm -hmm. it it's, uh, it doesn't work like that because you have a free choice. So you can be saved and refuse it. Adam and Eve were saved in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. But they refused it by believing the devil and eating the fruit. Right. You know, we believe that the devil originated in heaven as one of the bright angels there. And all those angels were saved, safe. And then he chose to go into rebellion. So just because you're saved uh, doesn't mean that you're going to end up in heaven. You can refuse it. Okay. So like we said at the outset, um, what these passages are really telling us is that everyone is saved unless they choose to be lost. Yes. Whereas Christianity has told us that everyone is lost until they choose to be saved. Um, well, since the Reformation. Okay. Uh, there were different ideas uh, before the Reformation, but John Calvin uh, was a lawyer, and so he took a very legal uh, look at the gospel, and Luther concurred, concurred with him. Um, so John Calvin looks at these the verses we've read, and he says, clearly, there's a group of people that God has already saved uh, with what he did through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now he says, I also believe that not everybody's going to be saved because they not, not everybody's going to get to heaven because there are verses in the Bible which clearly indicate that uh, that is also true. So Calvin's solution was that God has chosen some people and saved them. And as a result, they live a faithful life for God. But there are other people uh, that have not been saved, and uh, they're not going to get to heaven. Okay. So uh, a contemporary of his, uh, Jacob Arminius, decided that these verses are describing a potential, a possibility. Uh, it's not, it hasn't actually happened, but it might happen depending upon your response to the gospel. Okay. So Calvin says it's happened to a group of people, but not everyone. Arminius says it doesn't happen to anybody, but it could happen depending upon your response. So that's kind of where that situation comes in, that you need to respond. Yes. Um, and you do respond uh, one way or another uh, when you're confronted. Um, so um, Arminius will describe the gospel as announcing that all sin, uh, that if a sinner accepts the Lord Jesus as his savior and repents and forsakes his evil ways, he will be saved and get to heaven. Salvation uh, in Arminius's uh, take is mostly of God but partially of man. Mm. There's something you must do as a human being in order to gain salvation. Right. So I don't know where they put the ratio 99% by God and 1% by man, 99.9% .9 by God and 0.1% by man. 
I don't know, but they do uh, state that man has to do something. So salvation becomes a combination of what God's done and what man's do. Which is some good news and some good advice. That's something you need to do. Yes. So here's an interesting um, way to solve the dilemma, and that is to remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said to him, you must be born again. Now, Jesus chooses a very interesting metaphor because what contribution did you make to your birth, Warren? I just was there. That was it. Yeah. You, you made no contribution to it. And, and that is a great uh, illustration as well. Of God gives us physical life which we did nothing about. And it's a gift that we have life. So he, through Jesus, gives us salvation that we do nothing about. Yeah. And just to continue the parallels, once you're alive, you can end your life. True. And spiritually, once, you're, once you realize you can still reject that yeah, and refuse the salvation that God has so freely uh, given to everyone. Yeah. So now I want to pray what I call the believer's prayer. Mm. Uh, this is in contrast to the sinner's prayer. But I just re repent, uh, repeat again. Uh, the sinner's prayer is a good prayer if you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. But here's the believer's prayer. Thank you, dear God, for saving me. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life and forgiving all my sins. I rejoice in your great love. I have nothing to fear for the future, for you love me as much as you love your son. You know me by name. I'm precious to you. I worship you. Yeah. So yeah. this prayer is all about God. Yes, and it's it's thanking him for the the reality that's already there. Yes, the good news is just that it's good news of something that's already accomplished. That's right, but you'll notice there's uh, no advice uh, in the believer's prayer. Right. So um, the gospel uh, does not prescribe behavior; it trusts completely to the motivation of love, especially God's unconditional, all-embracing love, which is the basis of his government. So when, when you got married, did you have a long list of rules for Cheryl? No. So wasn't that a bit naive? Apparently. <laughs> you know, when two people are in love, you don't need rules. No. Your great desire is to please the other person. Yes. So that is the motivation of love. Yeah. So when Jesus uh, describes the citizens of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 5, chapters 5 to 7, uh, he's not so much stating how you should behave as how you will behave when you've received the love of God into your heart. Right. And Jesus' new commandment to love each other as he has loved us uh, it's also the result of having experienced God's love. 
See, it's prefaced on, as I have loved you. So you can't give what you don't have. If you haven't been loved, you can't love other people. You can't pass it on. Yes. It's only when you experience this unconditional, all-embracing, eternal affection of Jesus for you as an individual. And something changes in your heart. Now you have something to pass on to other people. Yes. It's like, like we've said before, news has to be shared. And in this yeah. case, it's good news. And it just, it, it, there's something within us that just wants to share it with somebody else. Yeah. So the gospel is often uh, uh, shared as you must uh, be like Jesus. Um, what like, would Jesus do? Yeah, that's a good slogan that you see around. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus walked on water. He raised the dead. Um, you know, um, there, there's a problem with that concept. There's a problem with it conceptually because we all know we're not Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, so really the gospel is saying, receive the joy, the peace, and the life that Jesus Christ has. He's wanting you to have it. He's giving it to you. He died and rose again so that you might have his joy and peace and life. Mm-hmm. It's comprehending the intimacy that Jesus wants to have with us as he always had wanted and always had with his Father and the Spirit. It's like he's opening the door for us to be invited into that inner circle, into that family. Yeah. So the gospel trusts that the greatest motivational force in the universe is unconditional love. That's why it doesn't give advice. It just tells you how you've been loved. And every classic love story is premised on this insight. Romeo cannot live without Juliet. He's in love with her. Life isn't worth living without her. I'm in love with Jesus. Life isn't worth living without her. Yes. The princess kisses a frog, for she is sad for the frog's life. She wants to bring some comfort to the frog. And the kiss transforms the frog into the prince. Yeah, I know that's a fairy story, but it's built on the great desire of the human heart. That's why these fairy stories uh, survive. It's because they, they, they've written out of the great desire of the human heart. So the son became the frog. And when we kiss him, for the sadness of his life of suffering. He's transformed in our eyes to become our prince, princely savior. Hmm, interesting. I had never heard it described that way. But he doesn't become your savior until, he's kiss until you've kissed him. Now unpack that. See, that there's something uh, about the way you perceive uh, Jesus, that he went to that length for me becoming the frog, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And all the sadness that he experienced on this earth of rejection, people trying to kill him and finally torturing him. And when, when you get what he was willing to do for you, you kiss him 
so to speak, for his great love for you. And at that moment, he's transformed into your Savior. It's what Jesus describes, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. You know, it's the gospel, the good news of God's love for us, that challenges and changes our thinking, our feelings, and finally our behaviors. It heals us, it saves us, it transforms us for intimacy with God and his son and the spirit, and finally with each other. So have you ever received good news in your life? <clears throat> so, I yeah. have. Yes, I have. Tell us about a time. Well, I, I just received good news here within the last uh, week or so. I, we had a granddaughter born. And How many is that? That's number five. And uh, it was very hard not to shout that from the mountaintops until they had announced it first, because it was their news. But <laughs> once they had, mercy, we, we let people know. Yeah. And you, you belong to a big totem. Yes. Yeah. So you had a lot of people to let know. Yes. Yeah. So no one has ever grasped this good news of the gospel can keep it to themselves. They have to tell somebody. I agree. Yes. They have to tell somebody. It's just too good to be kept secret. Yeah. So the frightened woman at the tomb early on Sunday morning who discovered the body is gone has to tell somebody. And who are they going to tell first? And now I'm not talking about the woman. I'm talking about you, Warren, and everybody else who's listening. Yes. Um, who are you going to tell? You know, somebody's valuable to you that you want to tell the good news of that God, in God's mind, has saved you and is going to get you to heaven unless you determinedly refuse him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, um, these passages that we've covered today make it so clear that everyone is included in that gift and that good news is just so amazing that truly we are saved unless we choose to be lost and that's wonderful and you know you can tell that to the most ardent atheist right because it's good news mm -hmm. they may um, refuse to believe it but it's going to affect their heart. You cannot hear uh, good news like this without it influencing the way you think about yourself and other people. Amazing. Let's pray. Dear God, we need your help to believe the truth about what, you're, what you have done for us. You are wonderful. You are amazing. It's too good to be true. Sometimes our faith fails us. Sometimes things go bad and we forget who you are and what you've done for us. We confess our sin. How we long for that day when we will meet you face to face and be able to express our gratitude, however inadequately, for what you have done for us. How we long to be able to love other people, 
as you have loved us, but you have promised new hearts for old. We trust to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. And if you'd like to share this with friends, we'd appreciate that. In fact, we have created a new website called rediscoveringgod.ca. You can refer your friends to that site, and they can see all the podcasts that we have produced so far, and the ones uh, in the future will be posted there. Uh, You can make comments. You can join us in a dialogue and a conversation so that we can discover what difference this is making for you or any questions that you have that we can endeavor to answer or perhaps address in a future podcast. So that's rediscoveringgod.ca. In addition to the website, we've also created a WhatsApp site called Rediscovering God. So if you're on WhatsApp or would like to join us, uh, just search for us there or send me an email at wkay. S is in Sam, I-X, at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to add you to our group and we can continue the dialogue there.